be attentive. Brethren, God has exhibited as us as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are ill-clad and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled we bless, when persecuted we endure, when slandered we try to conciliate. We have become and are now as the refuse of the world, the offscouring of all things. I do not write this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. and he suffers terribly for often he falls into the fire and often into the water and I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him and Jesus answered O faithless and perverse generation how long am I to be with you how long am I to bear with you bring him here to me And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move hence to yonder place, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind is not cast out, except by prayer and fasting. 
As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. Glory to you, O Lord. Glory to you. Peace be to you who reads the good tidings and to all the people. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. By the, by the looks of it, you think we're going to have a book study this morning. You know, one of the blessings of being able to teach in the church, and I'm speaking more about when we do catechism classes, or just pick a topic in, in general and begin to talk about it uh, to the people and to share, is that the priest has to do a lot of reading and research and preparation too, and there's a, there's a double blessing in that. Hopefully, the recipients of what he presents is going to be to your advantage and, and, to, and to a blessing to you, but it's also a tremendous blessing to the priest to be able to do that, because we don't always find time to read and research uh, at least as much as we would like uh, for our own benefit, just because of the many things that we do, so it's always uh, a wonderful time, and preparing for a sermon is really no, uh, no different, and in the last, uh, I'd say in the last several weeks, um, I have been lacking in faith and trust, and so speaking uh, this morning on this gospel passage was a real blessing in terms of my own preparation, because it is the topic of faith, and so I just wanted to share with you some uh, some thoughts that I put together, and to share with you also some quotes from some very beautiful fathers of our church, and hopefully that will be helpful to you. One of the things that I found very interesting about this particular uh, incident, where this man comes to Jesus uh, and his son is possessed, one of the things that he mentions is that the disciples weren't able to heal uh, this, uh, this young man's son. And what I found interesting is that this scenario takes place after the transfiguration. And in fact, Matthew, or uh, yeah, James and, and, and John and Matthew and Peter, James, John and Peter were not present. They were still coming down off of the mountain of the transfiguration. So they were not present when this man went to the apostles and asked that his son be healed. And I thought to myself, I said, that's like... That's like playing in a championship game with your three all-star players not there. Because can you imagine what would have happened if Peter, James, and John had come down already and were a part of the rest after what they just experienced? What they just saw and witnessed in the transfiguration? I don't think that their faith would have been lacking at that moment. And I think we would have had a very different outcome when that man went to the apostles. But they weren't there, so there were the other nine, and they weren't able to, to heal this young man's son. This account is also found in two other Gospels, not just in Matthew, but it's also found in Mark and in Luke. And there's a particular verse that we find in Mark that I, I just love, and I think it's really important for us to hear and to build on a little bit. In, in the Gospel of Mark, 
the father says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. It's interesting, he didn't say, take pity on my son and help my son. But you could see how the father was being tormented, seeing the suffering and the torment that his son was going through as well. But if you can do anything, help us. And Jesus responded to him, if you can, with a question mark. And he says, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And it's interesting because the man identifies that he has some faith, but he also realizes that his faith was not great enough to help out his own situation. So in other words, I have a measure of faith, Lord, but it is not adequate enough to get accomplished what I want to accomplish, and that is the healing of my son. And I think that sometimes in our own lives, there are moments where we have a measure of faith, the right amount, to help us through a given situation. But then there are situations that are almost seem insurmountable, and we look at how large it is, how challenging it is, and then we look at our faith and we say, that's not going to cut it. I can't get through this situation with the amount of faith that I have. And what we typically do then is we fall back on ourselves and we begin to use our human reasoning to try to figure things out. And of course, that never has a good end. It only leads to worry and anxiety and fear and really, as as, uh, St. Paisius says, torment. We, we, We become sort of tormented in our own experience and in our thinking in our minds. So we have this measure of faith. All of us have a measure of faith. But the idea is, and the goal is, that we want to increase our faith. We want our faith to grow. Not just be uh, where it is today, but we want our faith to grow day by day, month by month, year by year, so that it becomes so great. And through that faith, we gain a lot of peace. Because we don't worry anymore. We put all of our trust in God. And when I use the word faith, by the way, we we use words also like courage and trust and belief. Just like on the opposite, when we talk of a lack of faith, we could talk of um, cowardice, um, disbelief, and so forth. So there are words that are uh, interchangeable. If you look in the New Testament and you just type in the word uh, or or look at the word faith, you're going to probably get a uh, a plethora of information just from one particular chapter in one particular book, and that is uh, St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews, chapter 11. And so I just wanted to jot down just a couple, because it would take me probably three or four minutes to read that whole chapter and all the references to faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. That's probably the classic definition when we think of the word faith. The assurance of things that we hope for and the conviction of things that we don't see. So it's based on two things, hope and conviction. And again, we have measures of these, but we want those to increase so our faith increases. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, i.e. the flood, in reverence prepared an ark for salvation of his household. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, and by going out to a place which he was to receive for the inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was even going, but he just went. By faith, Sarah received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up his son Isaac. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses also, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through on dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, Peter stepped out of the boat onto the sea and began walking on the water toward Jesus, until, as St. Paisio says, he began to reason as to what was going on, and then he began to sink. It's interesting, but we also see this lack of faith not only displayed by Peter here, as I mentioned, but in the disciples as a whole. So don't think for a moment that we're the only ones that lack in faith. The disciples themselves had moments where they lacked in faith. Take, for example, when they were out at sea on a boat with Jesus. And a storm came and the waves started to to kick up and the wind was blowing and they became very fearful. They feared for their lives. They had zero faith that they were going to survive. And they looked at their master and what was he doing? He was sleeping. I know people like that. They can sleep through anything. He was sleeping in the boat during a storm. And they began to fear for their lives and they woke him up. And they said, Lord, we're going to perish. But he sees their lack of faith. And what about Peter's faith when he denied Jesus three times? When he was asked if he knew him, he didn't have the faith to say, yes, I do. He says, I don't know him. And he was given two more opportunities, and both times he denied Christ. Where was his faith? Where was the faith of the disciples when there was only five loaves and two fish? They didn't say, Lord, we have five loaves, two fish. We know that you are uh, God and you can do all things. Bless it and everybody will eat. They said, you know what? This is all we have. We should send everybody back. Where was their faith? So they weren't perfect in faith. And it's interesting that even when they were given the power to be perfect in faith, they still failed later. Here's a quote from Bishop Nikolai Velomirovich. He says, The root cause of helplessness is unbelief. The greater the faith, the greater the power. The less the faith, the less the power. The Lord had earlier given His disciples power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. That's in Matthew 10. Our Gospel is Matthew 17. And they had for a time made good use of that power. But to the measure that their faith had become weaker, whether from worldly fear or pride, so the power that had been given to them had become weakened. 
Adam was given authority over every creature, but he, through disobedience, greed, and pride, lost it. So even when when they've been given this type of power and authority, it doesn't mean that it's going to stick for the rest of their lives. Obviously it didn't. And that's the same for us. There are moments and times where our faith is stronger and when it's weaker. I think that when we begin to feel the waves and the winds of life and really shaken, that's when we begin to freak out. And we start to have a lot of fear and a lot of worry. And I speak from experience. This is when our faith really begins to diminish. It's worldly fear, it's pride, and it's also greed and even disobedience. According to St. Paisios, one of the causes of the diminishing of faith in us is human reasoning. One person said to him, Whenever I begin something, I start out with a certain fear, a certain hesitation. To this statement, the elder replied, Make the sign of the cross and say, Through the prayers of our holy fathers, and then go about your task. Don't strain yourself with your narrow human reasoning, which torments you and obstructs divine help. That's very important. Where your narrow human reasoning torments you and obstructs divine help. He doesn't say that reasoning is a bad thing. Reasoning or the intellect is one of the faculties of the soul. Okay? We're not saying don't think about it or don't try to use reason. God give, gave us that, that, that faculty of the soul. That's something that we are to use. But when that begins to trump faith, that's when we get in trouble. When we use reasoning and it's working and we feel peace, then keep using it. When we use that faculty of the soul, the intellect and reasoning, and we begin, we, we're using it to the extent that we now start to fret and worry and have fear... That's when we have to pull back and say, you know what? I've gone over a boundary here. Now I'm taking these things into my own hands, and this is why I feel this way. This is where I need to stop, take a step back, and say, Lord, I've crossed the line, and I'm in a territory that I don't belong. I have to have faith in you, and I'm going to give all of this to you now. A second cause for faith to diminish is sin. Again, Nikolai Velomirovich says that the lack of faith, unbelief, is the result of sin and corruption. The more a person sins, the less faith they will have. The less they walk in the way of Christ, the less faith and trust they will have in Him. In other words, there's a direct correlation between the amount of faith we have and the time we spend in dialogue with Christ. If we think that we're just going to get by and manage life's challenges and not have a practice of dialoguing with Christ on a daily basis, we're fooling ourselves. And we should have learned that by now. Because I think we repeat this over and over again. What about those things that increase our faith? Well, if when we don't follow Christ, faith diminishes, then the opposite is also true. The more we follow Christ, the more faith will increase. Faith also increases through prayer, simply by asking Christ to increase our faith. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. So we can ask Christ to add to our faith and to increase it. And when we ask Christ to increase our faith, we're entrusting ourselves to God. Being more aware of the world around us also 
seeing all that has been given to us by God, created out of His love, can also increase our faith. And it's ironic how much faith we put in things and in other people, and we don't put that same faith in God. And let me just share an example I read here recently. You go to a doctor whose name you can't pronounce, and whose degrees you cannot verify. He gives you a prescription that you can't read. You take it to a pharmacist you've never seen before. He gives you a chemical compound you don't understand. Then you go home and you take the pill according to the instructions on the bottle, all trusting with sincere faith. But we can't turn to God and say, Lord, help my unbelief. And yet when it comes to our life and to the challenges we face, whether it's work, health, relationships, whatever, whatever it is, we don't trust in God. Then I came across something else from St. Paisios, and perhaps this is one of the greatest ways to increase, increase our faith, and that is to, to struggle to cultivate what he calls philotimo. And I know most of you have heard this term before, which is defined in many ways, but some of the best definitions I've heard are a grateful indebtedness or placing one's heart into Christ. So it really has to do with gratitude. And it may not seem like there's a connection here between struggling to develop greater and greater philotimo and increasing our faith, but there's a direct correlation. St. Paisio says, Our faith must have philotimo. And that's where the philotimo-filled struggle begins. And the more we struggle with philotimo, the more our faith will increase and the more our lives will increase and our love. In this philotimo-filled struggle, it helps greatly to keep God's blessings in mind. Someone who has a strong sense of gratefulness does not wonder if there is paradise, but struggles because he believes and loves God. Whereas someone who does not have this grateful indebtedness will begin to wonder, why should I even struggle? Does paradise really exist? Will there be a judgment day? And when someone is ungrateful, and I mean on a daily basis being grateful for all the things that we know that we've been given, when someone is ungrateful, no matter what you do for that person, they will still be ungrateful. No matter what you do for them, they will still be, they'll find something to be ungrateful for. Whereas the person who has philotimo praises God even in a time of temptation and will gradually start being continuously grateful to God. And that's when the divine transformation comes to his soul, keeping him in constant joy and gladness. Another person may have no temptation or trials of any kind and only have blessings, and yet will never be satisfied with anything. It doesn't feel pleasant when we know we are lacking in faith and we end up living with anxiety and we don't think clearly and when we don't think clearly we don't act rationally. And this is a real struggle for us because St. Paisio said years ago that one of the, one of the top uh, one of the top problems or struggles that the world will face will be anxiety. Anxiety. And it's because of that lack of faith and that lack of trust of God. And that lack of consistency that we put into our own inner life and our own spiritual life. And that is where the connection lies. And so I wanted to, to end with one more small quote from him. 
He says, if we work to correct ourselves and look more intently towards our inner activity rather than our external and give precedence to divine help, we can turn to be of greater and more positive help to others. We will also achieve an inner serenity, greater faith, that will quietly help the souls of the people we encounter because spiritual serenity and faith reflects the virtue of the soul and transforms other souls. When someone applied himself to external activity before having polished his spiritual inner state, he may struggle spiritually, but he will be fraught with anxiety and worry. This anxiety shows that it is a part of our human condition. And he says, the more I am pained by people's sufferings, the more I pray and rejoice spiritually at telling Christ everything and having Him take care of it. Did you get that part? Having Him take care of it. Giving Christ everything. And I notice that as time passes and physical courage diminishes, spiritual courage increases because love Sacrifice and compassion for others provides great spiritual strength. There was a young boy who wanted to have a tree swing. And so he got his two pieces of rope and he got his little wooden slat and he drilled the holes and he put the rope through and tied the knots and he went out to a tree that was... I'd say, you know, about his size because he couldn't get a ladder and couldn't go very high and so he, he tied his, his swing on this, uh, on this branch of a sapling tree and when he tied, tied it on the branch and he looked down the wooden slat was sitting on the ground because the tree was so small but this young man had faith and you know what he did? He went and he got a garden hose and he began to water the tree 